Thank you, Mike. Great job. Thank you so much for that. Take your Bibles, please. Turn over to Acts chapter number 10. While you're turning, I invite you to be back tonight. I will not preach this whole message this morning. Uh, I've got several points. I don't know that I'll make it past the first one. So I will slow down a little bit. And then tonight we'll come pick back up. So I invite you to be back tonight for the rest of this message. Uh, we're also looking forward tonight to getting uh, an update uh, for, uh, from junior camp. Uh, we had a tremendous week of junior camp last week down in Georgia. Looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that this evening. Brother Sasser, will you be back here tonight? I want to get an update from your trip to Boston as well tonight. Don't let me forget that. And then we, our teens are leaving first thing in the morning, going down to North Carolina for teen camp. And so we're asking God to give them safety and do a great work in their hearts down there. Acts chapter number 10, if you would stand with me please. We'll get to the passage eventually. I've got some preliminary statements and verses to look at before we get to the verses in Acts 10, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let this be our text, all right? And we'll get to it in just a little bit. Verse number one, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. We saw in a vision, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Make a long story short. They went to Joppa, found Peter there, communicated to Peter the message in verse number 22, they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned by God, by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Skip down to verse number 30 and 31. Cornelius said to Peter, four days ago I was fasting unto this hour and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayers heard, thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. This is Cornelius speaking in verse number 33. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. What a statement. I've got a bunch of other verses we're going to look at here in just a minute, but for the sake of time, we're going to stop right there. I want to preach this morning and tonight on this thought, the keys to a Christian home. The keys to a Christian home. Father, I ask you now that you would help me to be able to communicate to your people the burden upon my heart. Allow me to be able to say something, Lord, if there's a dad here today, if there's someone here today, a mom, a young person that's not saved, I pray they'd get saved before it's too late and help me to be able to, from your word, Lord, 
convey the burden that you gave me several days ago. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing so very much. You can be seated. One of the things that has burdened my heart lately is the lack of genuine Christian homes. I really don't believe there are nearly as many Christian homes as we might think. There are people that think they have a Christian home. There are moms and dads that if you were to ask them, do you have a Christian home, they would without hesitation say absolutely. You could ask young people, do you live in a Christian home? And many of them without pause would say yes. But the truth of the matter is there are certain criteria, certain keys that are essential for a home to fit the biblical criteria of a Christian home. Tonight we plan to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of a Christian home. And if I don't get finished tonight, then we'll just keep going and get to it later. It could easily be a series, this thought of the keys of a Christian home. But I will say this right here. I'll say this right here, right now. You cannot have a Christian home and a worldly home at the same time. That's impossible. It is impossible to have a home that's worldly and a home that's Christ-like. The lines are clearly drawn in the scripture and dads, you need to make a choice. Do you want a Christian home or not? As I begin to make a list of some of the things that make a Christian home, I begin to realize that God's intent, God's desire, God's plan ultimately would be for the dad, the husband, to be the spiritual leader in the home and be the one that determines we are going to have a Christian home. The Bible's clear in a day and age where there are little catchphrases, little words that are being thrown about on social media and on blogs and podcasts, words like patriarchy. You will hear that word used, patriarchy. Patriarchy is being blamed for all the problems we have in our society. And yet as I study the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, it is very clear that God's way of setting up the home and the family was for the husband and the daddy to be the leader. That's Old Testament and that's New Testament. Is everybody okay? I, I preached last week in South Carolina to the men, a message that I preached here a number of years ago. I will not re-preach the message, but I might just reread the verse of why God said that he was going to give Abraham a son. Why God said, I am going to make of Abraham a great nation. Here's what God said in Genesis 18 Verse number 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse 19, God said, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. All right, God said, I'm going to make of Abraham a great nation because he's going to command his children and command his house. You say, well, that's Old Testament. I know that. 
You get over to the New Testament. Do you realize that one of the qualifications of a deacon is that he must have control of his house? Do you know that one of the qualifications of a bishop, a New Testament church pastor, is that he must have his wife and his children under control? Did you know that? Well, that kind of shoots that whole patriarchy thing in the head, doesn't it? And you keep studying your Bible and you understand that the husband is supposed to be the leader and the head of his wife. That is Ephesians chapter number five and verse 22 down through verse 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now that's Bible. Now you will find a group of people today that will say, well, that's just old, that's, that's old uh, world, that's, a, that's an old time philosophy, that's an outdated philosophy, that's an outdated, outmoded way of doing things. But it's interesting that yet for some reason or another, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Is Christ still the head of the church? Well, of course he is. So how can you take two comparisons and hold to one of them and say they're still relevant and yet say the other one is outdated? And then he sets the bar for the husbands in the next verse. Husbands, love your wives, here we go, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's the standard, there's the criteria for the husbands that want to stand on the footboard every morning and beat their chest like Tarzan and crow like a rooster and say, I'm the head of this house. Your responsibility is to lead your family by loving your wife as Christ also loved the church. Can I get a witness? Yeah, still in the Bible. You say, well, that won't work in 2022. I'm sorry. We're preaching this morning about a Christian home. Not a liberal home, not a progressive home, not a Marxist home, not a socialist home. We're talking about a Christian home this morning. The husband's supposed to lead his wife. He's also supposed to lead his children. Ephesians chapter six and verse number four, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of and admonition of the Lord. That's to the dads. There are several things I want to notice this morning. As we look at this first point, we'll, we'll, we won't make it past this first point this morning. Keys to a Christian home starts, number one, a Christian home is where the gospel is experienced. The gospel of Jesus Christ has to be a personal experience, not something that you just talk about, something that you just accept, something that you just kind of integrate into your lifestyle, something that you just kind of grab and set on the mantle as a little something to show, a little doohickey, a little whatnot to show off when people come in. The gospel, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ has to have been experienced in a personal and intimate way in that home before it can be considered a Christian home. A truly Christian home, God's plan, God's ideal Christian home is where the mom, the dad, and the children have all experienced God's saving grace. Husbands and wives should both be saved in order to have a true, genuine Christian home. 
moms and dads, husbands and wives. Come on now. Don't get nervous. I'm in the book. This is why it is very important for you young people and any of you single people in here, in college and career, or you're single adults. Listen to me. It's very important that you understand if you want to have a Christian home and you've been born again, saved by the grace of God, it is imperative that you understand the importance of marrying another born again Christian. The Bible is very clear that believers are forbidden from marrying unbelievers. Well, I, I, believe, I believe once we get married, I believe he'll get saved. I believe once we get married, I believe she'll come around. You don't know that. You don't know that. And the Bible is very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can't get any more of a yoke than a marriage covenant. You can use it to talk about friendships. You can use it to talk about business alliances. You can use it to talk about a lot of things. But a very, very real and a very biblical application of that verse is marriage. God forbids the unbeliever from marrying the believer. And so if you want to have a Christian home, you young people need to go ahead right now and make your mind up that you're not even going to remotely consider entertain the thought of dating, courting, marrying somebody that is not saved. That option needs to be completely off the table. Off the table. The born again daddy and the born again husband leading his family is God's design for the Christian home. And where the dad or the husband is missing, whether it's a divorce situation, single parent situation, whatever the case might be, it's not impossible for a godly mother to raise children. But I'm telling you right now, that is not God's ultimate plan. They're working under a handicap, working under a load. By the way, for you moms that might be here today, your husband's not in the picture for whatever reason. You can take great comfort and assurance in the fact that the Bible gives us several places where the mother was able to lead her family to the Lord and lead her children and her household in the ways of God. I'm thinking about a lady by the name of Lydia in Acts chapter number 16. A certain woman named Lydia, verse 14 of Acts 16, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. Apostle Paul said we were down there preaching. She heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Lydia heard the gospel preached by the apostle Paul, got saved, got baptized, her whole family got saved, and then she invited the men of God to come in, stay at her house. God used this lady. We don't know the story about her husband, where he was. We don't even really know much about Timothy's family dynamic, but we do know this, that the apostle Paul attributed to the spiritual growth and maturity of young Timothy to a mother and a grandmother that taught him the ways of God, the influence that they had. I'm not saying that it is not possible, and I'm not saying that single moms cannot raise godly children. I'm saying God's plan was for the husband, the wife, and the children to all be saved and to have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That was God's plan. You can't improve on God's plan. 
In fact, in 1 Peter 3, 1, the Bible goes on to say that the wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife. He went on to say that a godly wife that understands her place and her role in the home and has the right relationship with her husband by her testimony and by her lifestyle can eventually bring her unbelieving husband to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sure. But there's not a woman in here that wouldn't love to have a godly husband standing beside her, leading her and leading that family and being the daddy, being the spiritual priest in that home for those children. The Bible's clear salvation can be, should be, a household experience. Several examples are found in the scriptures. I'm thinking about Noah and Hebrews 11. Verse number seven, the Bible says, Noah being warned of God of things not yet as seen, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. He took responsibility for his family. You get over to Acts chapter 16 and the Philippian jailer sprang in. Remember he asked for a light when the earthquake rocked all the doors open and all the prisoners were loosed and he walked in and said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. I love how Paul said in verse number 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Amen. Household salvation, come on now. Started with daddy getting saved, started with the husband getting saved and then they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house and when he had brought them into his house, verse 34, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. God's plan, God's design for the Christian home starts when each person in the family has a personal experience of the grace of God and the changing power of the gospel becomes real to them. Several other places, Crispus in Acts 18 verse 8, chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord, the Bible says, with all his house. Several places in the Bible teaches that, shows that. But one of the greatest examples of household salvation we find in Acts chapter number 10. Now just bear with me, we're gonna get there in just a minute. But some of the things that I wanna point out about Acts chapter number 10 was this is not a Christian family in the first part of the story. However, Cornelius has got most so-called Christian dads beat hands down in the first part of the story when he wasn't even saved yet. I'm saying that this morning it's possible to think you have a Christian home when you really do not have a Christian home. There were several things in the life and the home of Cornelius as a lost man that puts a lot of Christian men to shame in these verses. Let's notice this. In verse number one, he was a leader, a centurion, a centurion of the band. He was a leader. That's more than you can say for a lot of men. Let me just go back and touch on this patriarchy thing because this is a hot topic with certain blogs and certain podcasts and certain social media sites. They're blaming all the problems of Christianity on this outdated idea of patriarchy. They're blaming all of it. All the problems in the church is because the church preaches that only a man can be the pastor. Qualifications of a pastor is that he be the husband of one wife, stay with me now, you didn't fall off the wagon yet, did you? Have his wife and his children in subjection. The women are forbidden 
to speak in the church and usurp authority over the man. Multiple passages of scripture that you will never, ever hear Joyce Myers preach on. And any of these other so-called women preachers. Just remember what I'm fixing to tell you. A woman cannot be a man of God. That's deep, ain't it? That's deep. A woman cannot be a man of God. But it's that, it's that adherence, that strict adherence to New Testament doctrine that gets us labeled as patriarchy mentality. Because a woman's not supposed to be the pastor. Therefore, women must be second. They must be second rate. They must be treated like dirt to church because only the pastor can be a deacon. A, 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 man, a pastor and only a man can be a deacon. So therefore, women don't count. Well, that's not true. Some of the greatest Christians in this church are the ladies. Some of the most faithful, most godly, greatest prayer warriors in this church are our ladies. Come on, man, say amen. You know I'm telling the truth. We wouldn't be where we're at today if it wasn't for the men. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for my wife behind me, supporting me and holding me up and helping me along the way. But Bible principles, Bible principle, you can't just toss it out because you turn the page on the calendar just because some, some well-known blogger or some well-known podcaster don't like it. You can't take Bible doctrine, rip it out, throw it in the trash and decide to rework the whole New Testament church and the family and the home. You can't do it. You gotta do it God's way. But what I want to say is this. I've seen, I've seen in our independent Baptist churches, I grew up independent Baptist. That's all I know. I'm fifth generation independent Baptist. And I've seen men that lorded over their wife and was, and was, and was mean and hateful to their wife and, and cracked the whip over their wife and kids. I've seen that. Turns my stomach. But I'm just going to go ahead and say this while I'm at it. And you can like it or lump it or jump it or bump it. I don't give a flip. For every overbearing, cruel, harsh husband I have seen in our independent Baptist churches, I have seen 25 women that run the house and tell everybody in the house what to do and tell their husband what to do and lead him around by the nose. For every man I've seen that was wrong, I've seen 25 women that had their roles reversed. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Two wrongs don't make a right. Now, two rights made an airplane. But two wrongs do not make a right. Some of y'all get that tomorrow sometime. I needed to relieve the tension. Some of y'all are getting real tense on me right now. He was a leader. Cornelius was a leader. He was a leader. I like saying that. He was a leader. We need daddies, husbands that'll be leaders. Ask a guy, you want to go fishing? Well, let me ask my wife. That's my wife. I go, Forget it. I don't even want to go fishing with you. I don't even want to be out in a boat with you if you're that wimpy. Forget it. You'll probably show up with pink lace on, wearing a tutu and have your hair in a bow. I don't, don't even come. Forget it. Forget it. He was, a, he was a leader. He was a fighter and he was a warrior, according to verse number one, a centurion of the band. He, he knew how to fight. He didn't make it to that rank. He didn't make it. He didn't get promoted up through the ranks to become a centurion of the band without having earned it as a fighter and as a warrior. We need dads and husbands that know how to fight. Fight. I'm talking about fight, fight the right way, fight the right battles. Not fight with your wife, fight with your kids. I'm talking about fight sin, fight what's wrong, fight for your family. Fight for your church. Fight for what's right. Fight for your country. Amen. 
He was a devout man. Look at verse 2. The Bible says he was a devout man. He's not even saved yet. He's not even saved. He's a devout man. I wonder how many men today are members of our independent Baptist churches that we could honestly say the Holy Spirit of God would allow someone to pin about them that they were a devout man. In and out, up and down, hot and cold, back and forth, in the altar, crying, making commitments to God two weeks later out of church. Sitting in the church, sitting in the church pew, one service, raising her hand, tears running out of her face, rejoicing in the things of God, rejoicing in her salvation. Two weeks later, they're mad at everybody, got the poochy lip disease. One minute they're talking to people about the Lord, the next day they're acting like they don't know God, nobody around them would ever know they were saved. We're talking about he was a devout man. Come on now. Happy Father's Day. He was a God-fearing man. We're still in verse two, one that feared God. He wasn't even saved. He had a fear of God. What's more than you can say for a lot of men today? You can tell by looking at them, they don't fear God. They don't believe in the fear of God. They're not ever thinking about judgment day. They're not thinking about standing before God one day. They're not worried about what God thinks or what God sees. He was a God-fearing man. The Bible says he feared God with all of his house. Man, that's more than you can say for a lot of Christians. Come on now. Cornelius feared God with all of his house. Wasn't him saved. Had him lined out, didn't he? Yes, he did. We're talking about the difference in being a good dad and being a saved dad. We're talking about the difference between being a good man and a Christian man. We're talking about the difference between having a good home and a Christian home. There's a difference. Look at what it says. He was a generous man in verse number two. He gave much alms to the people. He had a soft heart for people with needs. He had a compassionate heart. He saw somebody that was in need. He had no problem taking what he had and giving it to people. He gave much alms, the Bible says. He goes on to say in verse number two, and prayed... To God always. Always. Dr. Bittner, he's not even saved. Preacher, I got a Christian home. I pray. I give, I, I put money in the plate. He's not, they don't have a Christian home. Cornelius would be deacon material in most churches today. A lost man. You know I'm telling the truth. If Cornelius and his family walked in here into this church this morning, living in verse two, first two or three verses of this chapter, we'd want to put him on staff. We'd say, well, the family right there has got it going on. Look at there. Look at that man. Squared away, got his family in order. Look at him, generous, cares about people, compassionate. He's a leader, prays all the time. Gives all the time. He's not even saved. He's a praying man. He had a reverential fear of God in verse number three and verse number four. When this angel came to him in verse number three and called his name Cornelius, in verse number four, it says he looked on him and he was afraid. Here's a, here's a centurion of the Roman band. A man that's been in hand-to-hand combat, probably killed people. Come home from work many days with blood and guts on him and cuts and scratches and bruises. He saw an angel of the Lord, the Bible says, and was afraid. There was a reverential fear 
of God and of spiritual things. He's not even saved. If Cornelius, I believe, was sitting in Calvary Baptist Church this morning as a lost man, he'd be paying attention. He'd be leaning into the message. He'd have his Bible open. There wouldn't be no chewing the chewing gum and playing on his cell phone and have his earbuds in and listen to the ball game. There wouldn't be no looking at his watch, looking around, seeing what everybody else is doing. There was a reverential fear in Cornelius as a lost man. The Bible tells us in verse number 22 that when his servants came and began to speak to Peter, here's what his servants said. Cornelius the centurion, a just man. A just man. What about that? A just man. He's not even saved. He had, the Bible tells us in verse number 22, a good report among all the nations. Are you kidding me? A, this man had a, glo- stay with me now, a global testimony. A good report among all the nations of the Jews. People all over the country, all over the world was talking about the caliber and the character of Cornelius. He's not even saved. Anybody under conviction yet? Come on, daddy. Look up in here. It ain't time to pray. Global reputation as a lost man. My goodness. I kept reading. He was a man of influence in verse 24. He called together his kinsmen and near friends. He, this is without cell phones. This is without social media. This is without the internet. He went around and got all of his Friends together and got them all into one place to come hear the preaching that was about to take place. Can I say it? Can I say it? Cornelius brought more lost people to church as a lost man than most Christians ever do in their whole life. Well, I can't get nobody here. He did. He had enough respect and influence that we invited somebody. They stopped what they were doing and came. Come on now. I'm still in the book. Look at verse number 33. Here's what he said. I'm leaving out so much of this story. Peter, Peter's down in, in, in uh, uh, praying on, 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 on the rooftop. He's praying, had this vision had this whole vision of the, of the great sheep being let down from heaven with all manner of, of creeping things and wild beasts and four-footed beasts and fowls there and a voice saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse number 13, I like that verse. Kill and eat, I like that verse. That's in there for all the vegans. Kill and eat. He wasn't talking about a head of lettuce either, praise God. He was talking about <laughs> kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, I've... Never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And God did this three times. And what God was doing was preparing him for the fact that the gospel was now about to be made available to the Gentiles. All this is what's happening. And while he's getting this vision and while he's trying to figure out what all this is about, there's a knock on the door. And here are these men these, uh, that were sent uh, as, as, uh, from, from uh, 
Cornelius' house and they said, Cornelius has called you. And about that time, he figured out what God was trying to do. So Peter loaded up and went with some of his friends and went down to Cornelius' house. And when they got there, the Bible says in verse number 25, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Peter said, hey, well, don't worship me. I'm just a man like you are. But you've got to give Cornelius a little bit of credit. He had more respect for the man of God than most church members. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Not that any man of God wants to be worshiped. Quite the contrary. But when he saw Peter, he knew Peter had been sent by God with a message from God. And he was so glad to have him in his home. He fell down at his feet and worshiped Peter. He was honored to have the man in his home. And here's what he said. Here's what he said to Peter in verse number 33. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God. To hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Before you even got here, preacher, I knew you were coming. I knew God was going to send you. And I went and got everybody that I could and packed them in the house here. We're all sitting here ready. Nobody's in a hurry. Nobody's got an appointment. Nobody's got somewhere else they need to be. Nobody came to church on Sunday morning and started looking at their watch about 10 after 12. What's, well, he's going a little long today, ain't he? He's going a little long today. Goodness, how long is he going to preach? Stan, how long was that Orioles game yesterday? Four hours. Four hours, and those people got there before the game and watched the pregame warm-ups, paid $10 for a hot dog and $15 for a Coke and all that jazz, sat there for four hours and hated it when it was over. Paid for parking, fought with traffic. He said, hey, we're all here. We're all here. Everybody's here with our ears perked. We are here to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. He's not even saved yet. Are y'all getting this, daddies? Daddies, hey, tell me I have a Christian home. You say, well, I check off all those boxes. He did too. There's one little small, small bit of business that needed to be taken care of. He had all this. Global testimony, just man, a giver, a prayer, feared God with his house, a leader, a fighter, a warrior, receptive to the man of God, open and attentive to the word of God. Just one small thing we need to take care of here, Cornelius. If you died right now, you'd split hell wide open. You've got to get saved. Peter began to preach to Cornelius in his home. In, his, in his verse number 34, I perceive of a truth that God is no respecter of persons. And God laid a message on Peter's heart who had just a few days before wouldn't have ever even thought that Gentiles could be saved. Now he's preaching under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God standing right here in Cornelius' living room. Guess what happened? You know what happened. Cornelius checked off that box that wasn't checked off. The, the, I've been born again, I've accepted, and I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a born again believer. He checked that box off in this chapter right here. And for the first time, come on now, for the first time, Cornelius could now begin to say with a little bit of confidence, I now have a Christian home. Had a whole lot going for me to start with. 
had a lot of positive things, but now he's saved. You say, well, how do you know he got saved? It don't say he got saved. Verse number 44, while Peter, Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them all that heard the word. And they of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, those that were with Peter, which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, where does it say he got saved, preacher? I'm fixing to tell you. Hang on just a second. Look over in the next chapter, chapter number 11. As, Paul, as Peter begins to relay the story in chapter number 11, look at what he says in verse number 12. Verse number 11, there were three men come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, doubting nothing. Nothing doubting. Moreover, these six men accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, and he showed us how that he had seen an angel of the Lord which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Watch this, watch this. Who shall tell thee words? <laughs> Who shall tell thee words? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. He's going to tell thee words. He's going to tell you a story. A man you've never seen is going to tell you a story about somebody you've never seen and it's going to forevermore change your life. He will tell thee words. Watch this. Watch this. And the Bible says, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Verse number 17, for as much then as God gave them the light gift, talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, which God only gives to those that are saved. Come on now. Romans 8, if you have not the Spirit, you're none of His. If you have not the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. God gave them the light gift as He did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. What was I that I could withstand God? Peter said, I didn't want to stand in the way of God. God was about to take the gospel message from the Jews, those that rejected Christ, those that stood on the streets and said, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. He's now going to take that gospel message. John 1, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, that's the, Jew, that's the Gentiles. That's the uncircumcised Gentiles. Come on now. Peter said, what can I do? I can't withstand God. God's wanting to make this thing a global thing. And he said, we stood right there and we watched Cornelius and his family get filled with the same Holy Ghost we all got filled with in the upper room in Acts 2. That's what he said. Verse number 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God. This is all people he's talking to. This is all the people that he's sharing the word of God with. In verse number two, the Bible says, here's what they said. They held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Oh, you better believe it. Cornelius and his family got saved. You better believe they did. In fact, if that ain't enough to convince you, you can go over to chapter 15 and it came up again where Peter is talking here, Paul rather, is talking here and he says this. Let me get my, let me get my place here. Chapter 15, verse number seven. Then there, 
When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You see that? And God, which knoweth the hearts, and trust me this morning, Daddy, look up in here. God knows the heart. God knew the heart of Cornelius that he wanted to do what was right and he was walking in, can I say it, every bit of light he had ever gotten. He was walking in every bit of truth he had ever gotten. He was doing everything he had ever heard about how to be a good daddy, a good leader in his home, be a good husband, but he never had heard the gospel. Come on now. And when that angel came to him and said, I'm seeing all this money you're giving and I'm seeing all these prayers that you've been offered up. I believe I'm gonna send somebody over here to help you fill in the blanks. And he sent Peter, he sent Peter and Peter stood in his living room and gave him the gospel and the very first time Cornelius heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, he repented and he believed and he got saved. He got saved and he was now a complete, a complete man. He was now perfectly, ideally set up to be the spiritual leader real spiritual leader in his home. It now wasn't just mechanics. It now wasn't just going down the line, checking off all these rules and all these things. Now there was an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What about that? Look at what it says in verse nine. I'm in chapter 15. God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. <laughs> no more twain. One new man. Amen. It's not circumcision and uncircumcision. It's not Jew or Gentile anymore. It's just the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to say this this morning. I want to say this this morning. Corinius did not have a Christian home until... The gospel had been personally experienced in his life. He had an exceptional home. He had a model home. He could have probably stood up at a men's conference and probably helped all of us. Come on now. Cornelius could have been invited to a marriage retreat and probably helped everybody there. But he wasn't saved. You want to have a Christian home? It's more than just going to church, throwing money in the plate, passing out a few tracts. There's more to it than that. It starts with allowing the transforming power of the gospel, Daddy, Mama, young person, change your life. Repent. Purify your hearts. Believe. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Then, then, and only then, can you have a Christian home? I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's somebody here today as the musicians are going to the instrument. There may be somebody here today that would say, you know what? I'm not going to, I don't want to settle for just having a good home, an outstanding home, an exceptional home. I don't even want to settle for having a better home than I grew up in. So many people are just content to have a better home, a better marriage than their parents had. They came from a broken home. They said, our family's better. My marriage is better. My kids are better. 
than anything I've ever seen. That may be true, but that doesn't mean it's a Christian home if you haven't been born again, saved by the grace of God. Would there be anyone this morning while they're playing, the folks are all over the altar, would there be anyone this morning that would just slip your hand up, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm, I just can't say that with confidence, that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I, I, I don't know that I've ever been saved. I don't know that for sure. And I would like for you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up this morning so I can see it? I want to pray for you. Anybody, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. Dad, let me ask you a question. Do you have a Christian home? I mean, do you really have a Christian home? Now, we're going to dig down and drill down on it a little bit more tonight. We're going to get out, we're going to get out in the weeds tonight. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this thing. But it starts, it starts with being saved. Are you sure you're saved? Are you 100% sure you're saved? Dad, mom, granddad, grandma, young person. If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen right now. You can text that number and somebody will call you in just a few minutes. Just text that number and say, I need to talk to somebody. We'll call you in just a few minutes with the Bible as soon as church is over and see if we can't help you over the phone if you will do that. We want to help you this morning. We want to help you. It starts, it starts with hearing that gospel message and submitting and surrendering your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Daddy.